well, there was no blue wave. Trump wants to take it all the way to the Supreme Court, where he'd have a big advantage. What the heck is going to happen next? I'm Bert Cohen, and with your help, we are keeping democracy alive. Check for pulse. Stand clear. Push to shock. America's fascists are those people who think Wall Street comes first and the American people come second. What Putin is trying to do and what Trump is trying to do is undermine faith in our government. I speak tonight for the dignity of man. High anxiety. The day after the election, and once again, the pollsters seem to have gotten it wrong. There was reason to believe it would be a big blue wave, that Trump would be resoundingly tossed out and American democracy clearly revived. Of course, as of this moment, it's not over yet. Biden may well win it, but a mandate? No. Ain't going to happen. No more. More gridlock seems inevitable. There'll be more court challenges, more trying to undermine the vote. Why did what happened happen? Even though on the issues, far more people do support Democrats, does the cultural clash Trump at all? With me today is Ken Nannis, whose background is in radio. He ran stations in Philadelphia and along the way consulted candidates running in New Jersey, Philadelphia, and for Democratic National Committee vice chair. He has an MBA in finance and postgraduate degrees in internet marketing, data mining, and social media. Currently, he runs data analytics for a pharmaceutical company. And knowing about uh, internet marketing, data mining, and social media... That uh, puts you in a good place to take a look at what the heck is going on. Thanks for being with us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, late into the night, Trump did what he said he wouldn't do. What a surprise. And his advisors urged him not to do. He claimed victory without any basis, in fact. Of course, he'd love to have it all land at the Supreme Court. But there's a heck of a lot between now and that I wonder what he can do, what legal steps he can take to steal it. Uh, The New York Times talked of a scorched earth campaign to disqualify as many votes as possible. And the Democrats, of course, have hired hundreds of lawyers as well. What other next steps do you think, Ken? Well, obviously, the first thing that that needs to happen is that all the votes need to be counted. Uh, We're still days away from that. Um, probably in several states, Wisconsin and Georgia want to have all the votes counted today. Michigan wants to do it today, but says it may take a few more days. And Pennsylvania's got at least a million more votes to count. So I, I think before we get into, you know, trying to game out what it is that Trump's going to do, because you know he'll do everything yeah, he can, of course. legal or otherwise. Yeah. Um, I, I think we need to get a clean lay of the land as to exactly where we stand. Uh, and right now, as, it, as the vote count continues, it's basically this. The votes that are remaining in Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania are largely absentee and mail-in ballots. Yes, and they are going to go heavily Democratic. Yes. In Pennsylvania, for example, when I got up this morning, 5.3 million people had voted in the election, which Pennsylvania was estimating was 75% of the actual vote. 
that means that there's another 1.7 million votes to count. Mm. And those are going to be heavily Democratic. In Michigan, the same thing basically applies. It's going to be the Detroit and the inner suburbs. Those votes are going to be Democratic. So I, I think what we're going to find is that when the first wave of dust settles yeah. that that joe's got somewhere around 300 electoral electoral votes that he can claim are legitimately his legitimately you know that's an interesting <laughs> we didn't used to even need to think about legitimately and you know i just wonder what trump can do i mean even a lot of the republicans in his party were saying you shouldn't have said that last night about winning what kind of scorched earth campaign can he do to disqualify as many votes as possible? I mean, clearly he wants to stop the counting as precedent happens in 2000 in the uh, uh, Gore versus Bush case in Florida. They did stop the counting. Can I wonder what fronts are, are possible where possibly somebody in a position in a state could stop the counting, or is that not possible? What do you know about that? Well, um, it, it would take um, the Supreme Court turning itself into Gumby, yeah. basically, to do that, because the this is an entirely different situation than 2000, where, if you remember, the issue was about the hanging chads. Yes. Um, and how many children do you think were named Chad as a result <laughs> of that? Um, <laughs> You know, and and that was the reason the reason the count was stopped was because of the hanging chads. Right. This is entirely different. There's no there's no real legal reason to stop the count. And the problem with stopping the count from a legal and precedent perspective is that it disenfranchises military personnel. Ah, true. Um, which who always vote late and. Their votes all of a sudden don't get counted. So uh-huh. it's, uh, it's very unlikely, in my view, that um, the Trump attempt to stop the count is going to be successful. In addition to which, um, they're also going to request a, a, request a recount yeah. of everything. Um, but Scott Walker in Wisconsin mm-hmm. uh, tweet, tweeted out a few minutes ago, uh, and I believe it was about his campaign that when a recount was requested, um, the recount only changed 300 votes. Joe is ahead right now by 20,000. Oh. So uh, the recounts are, are not going to change a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to try and get votes disqualified because of uh, matching signatures right. in some states. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, Pennsylvania, I think, and Georgia, um, people that either make a mistake or smear a ballot or something mm-hmm. to that effect are, are allowed to update their ballots. He's going to try and get those thrown out, um, and he's going to be unsuccessful there, I believe, because there's 50 years of precedent, which is why I say for the Supreme Court to do this, um, they're going to have to have to invent some case law that does not yet exist. <laughs> well, those... I mean, they're not they're not they're not afraid to do that. No, certainly, right. But it's not it's not beyond them. But, um, you know, the other issue is, does the Supreme Court want to invalidate 
an election where the people have clearly decided. Because, you know, when when the nine when the nine holy seers get in a room, um, John Roberts is very likely to look at them and say, if we do this. We are delegitimizing ourselves as an institution. Uh And Roberts is an institutionalist. Oh, interesting. Yeah, he's. Uh, interesting. I mean, and the the so-called originalists—they can make up stuff as they go along, you know, as they as they have so far. But that's interesting that that he's an institutionalist, and that uh, they don't really want to do. And then there's the whole thing about democracy. You know, we, when I grew up in the 1950s and 60s, America was the you know shining city on the hill, the place where people would want to be. You know, from the oppressed people all over the world because we had democracy i'm clearly trump cares not a bit about democracy i mean he and putin and kim jong un you know they they're sort of brothers from different mothers i guess but they don't <laughs> they don't care about they're against democracy how much of a hit let's say that we do make it through this and that every vote well, most votes do count, uh, even those suckers and losers in the military. Ahem, uh, that uh, that we do, that that Biden does somehow pull it off, and that it's seen as legitimate. How much of a hit do you think democracy is taking? I mean, you know, to have this president hate democracy so much. What's your sense of the strength of that? My, my sense is that Americans have short memories. Um, everybody, for example, everybody, for example, forgot in this election campaign that the Trump administration shut down the government some years back. Everybody's forgotten about the government shutdown and the people that were affected and all of that. Um, I, I think if you have a competent administration, which I'm convinced that, that the Biden administration will be, yeah. and uh, an administration that works to focus its efforts on restoring democracy around the world. Um, mm. I, I think <clears throat> in terms of our foreign allies and our foreign relationships, those will improve relatively quickly. There, there are a couple of issues that remain, though, in my view, if, you'll, if, sure. if I may. Yeah, yeah. Uh, here's the first one. Um, let's talk about democracy. Yes. Democracy is dependent on the vote. Um, and what I studied all last night was turnout. Yes. Um, in 2016, approximately 138 million Americans voted. In 2020, so far, approximately 138 million Americans have voted. Yeah. This was supposed to be a high turnout election. Huh. All of the all of the pollsters. All of the good ones, Monmouth, Siena, Emerson, um, all of them were predicting a high turnout election. And turnout is easier to model than who you're going to vote for. Because voting preferences are a binary choice. If you and I are running for an office and somebody polls and gets an extra vote for me, that's one that you've lost. So the error changes both of ours. If you ask people whether or not they're going to vote, that's a yes or no question. 
<clears throat> and so a curve is developed based off that, and all of the averages were around 154 million votes. So where are the rest of the votes? Well? And so yesterday, Emmett Sullivan, uh, a judge in Washington, D.C., ordered the Postal Service to go back and do a sweep of all of the post offices right. because 300,000 were found missing. Mm-hmm. And the post office said, we're not going to do that. So yeah. I, don't want, I don't want to go there, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but this is a guy that admittedly in the White House wants to do everything he can to suppress the vote. Yeah. Well, DeJoy certainly is clearly about suppressing the vote. And I wonder what, uh, yeah, they, they weren't able to do the sweep. Uh, gosh, I wonder how far that can be pushed to, to make them do it. It's, I, I mean, I, I was hoping that, you know, if even if Trump did make it, uh, that we'd have a Democratic Senate, and then they could do some impeachments and actually convict people, including the president. And this uh, postmaster general, DeJoy, there's so much grounds for impeachment there. I mean, just conflicts of interest just blatantly. And Trump doesn't seem to care about that, but I think generally the courts do in uh, democracies and a Republican form of government. What about that turnout? I, I was a Bernie delegate in 2016. I supported him again this time. And I do want to talk about, I, I think for sure he would have won in 2016 and maybe this time too. But one thing about the Bernie people, I went to Bernie rallies and there were tons of young people going to the rallies. I don't know how many of those young people actually voted. It was less fun than going to a rally where there's a rock band and stuff like that. What about young people? It was expected that they would turn out very heavily and obviously go for, I mean, they seem to be one of the only demographics that had real enthusiasm. What about young people? What do we know about their turnout? I haven't, I haven't seen turnout statistics on 18 to 30 year olds. Mm-hmm. Um, there, are, there were some states that made it very difficult for college kids to vote. Right. Um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was less than expected. But again, I, I think there are 15 million votes that we expected that we haven't gotten. And, and wh- wh- where were those 15 million votes? Let's take a look at that. I, I, have, I have no idea. <laughs> um, I, I really don't. Um, in, in California, um, let's, let's, let's go back to Pennsylvania. Okay, so sure. right now in Pennsylvania, Five and a half million people have voted. They have that up to 83% of the vote. Mm-hmm. That's, that's another 900,000 votes to be counted. Okay. And that'll be about a 12% increase over 2016. Uh-huh. I don't know where all those votes, where all those votes are and where they, where they should be um, because you've you got to go through all 50 states to do that. I haven't done this sure. in that kind of depth yeah. yet. Well, will. it's so much fun, isn't it? For those who may have just tuned in, Bert Cohen here, the show is Keeping Democracy Alive. Boy, it's a tough one. And, you know, we picked this name before Trump got elected. Who knew? Our guest today is Ken Nannis, uh, whose background is in radio as well. We're discussing what happened and what may still happen to the election. I mentioned Bernie before. I do believe 
Bernie would have won in 2016. And I supported Bernie this time largely because there were people in 2016 who were between Trump and Bernie. They did not like the Democratic nominee. They really, I think, it was more against her than for Trump. I think Bernie would have connected with a lot of the same people who ended up voting for Trump. There were a lot of people, very unscientific people I spoke with, who said, I don't know, I like Bernie, I like Trump. I wonder, the whole socialist, Biden, you know, he ran from it. And I, and just about any DNC-approved Democratic candidate would run and hide from the label socialist. Bernie, on the other hand, I think he would stand firm and go on offense about it. What I mean, there's no way to, to uh, you know, numerically uh, quantify this, but I wonder what your thoughts on how Bernie might have done this time, since how they threw out the name as an epithet socialist anyway. Could he have connected? I mean, I want the bigger question, sorry to go along, go along for a while, but how do we reconnect with the working class base? There, there's a whole bunch. Well, there, there are, there are uh, a few answers to that question. One, how do we connect with the working class base? Uh, the working class base that voted Democratic you can trace the decline of that almost to the day to the decline of unions in this country. Yes. And as the Republican Party declared war on unions, those people became increasingly disaffected because their pay and their benefits and their working conditions um, deteriorated with the loss of the union protection. In fact, the union vote, which is in many states much, much infinitesimally smaller than it used to be, in some places, went for Trump. Yes. Um, and, and so that, that's part A. Part B is um, policies need to be established that benefit working people. Yes. A and what's astonishing to me and, and has been for many years is how Republican voters will vote against their own self-interest. All the time. And... That's got to tell you, I think, that the issue is not necessarily working class, but is, is much more basic. The research that came out of 2016's election shows pretty strongly that the biggest determinant of Trump's support was attitudes toward race. Oh, wow. And depending on how you viewed people who didn't look like you, uh -huh. you were likely to vote one way or the other. The second determinant was education. Uh, the Democratic Party has been improving um, its results against college-educated people and has been for several years. Yeah. But the white working class without a college degree, those, those are Trump voters, and the research says that that's about race. And... You know, Trump in this campaign, as you know, spent a whole lot of time talking only to people that looked like him yeah. and thought like him. Um, the reason I think uh, Bernie would not have stood a chance this election is that because socialism um, has become a pejorative in this country. Yeah. Um, Stop 10 people on the street. And have them define what socialism is. Right. And then ask them if anybody they know is on Social Security or Medicaid. Right. 
Oh, oh yeah, my my grandfather, my father is on this. Well, that's socialism. Of course it is. But people, you're right. People don't know. I think if you ask people what fascism is, they not they're confused the two quite a bit. People don't know what socialism is, and that's why I thought that if somebody, Bernie, somebody went on the offensive and said, you know, you like snow plowing, you like police, you like firefighters. That's that's socialism. But it didn't happen. And it, it's a scary word. You're right. It's a pejorative. It's like liberal became uh, and after 1988 with the uh, oh, campaign. Oh, I can't even remember his name. Willie Horton ads. <laughs> you know, that oh, really, my God. Yeah, that gave liberalism a bad name. But speaking of Willie Horton and race, you know, it's really it's depressing, quite frankly, to think that that mattered so much. And Trump was such an obvious racist when he's saying protect the suburbs, wink, wink, you know, keep those people out of our suburbs. It amazes me how much that seems to have connected. I, I, I just, it's, it's hard. Do people not, do white people not know black people? Are they not friends with, I, I mean, culturally dividing things. That's, I wonder how much of the, the culture wars it really is. Never mind economic issues, never mind COVID, things like that. A culture war that people, a lot of people who voted for Trump, I'm guessing, don't like, you know, women being strong, uh, being able to have rights over their own bodies. Uh, gay marriage, I suspect, freaks them out entirely. Uh, and I wonder if we can, you know, if if culture is driving this angry divide and if there's what we can do about that, if anything, I don't know. I'm a little bit surprised because, you know, Straight, gay, whatever. Every straight person knows somebody gay, either in their families or friends, whatever. But what what are your thoughts about that? Is that a divide that's just unbridgeable? Um, boy, that's that's the million dollar question. Yeah. I, I I think I, I think it, there are a number of factors. One is that among white men without a college degree, there is. A lot of uncertainty in the economy. Uncertainty historically breeds autocracy. And people that come along and say, they're the, they're the reason you have a problem. Right. I'm going to take care of them. That's been going on since Pharaoh. And that's, not, that's never going to change. Uh, but let's, let's break this down a, a little more... Um, granularly. There are basically four designations of counties in America. A, B, C, and D counties. A are urban counties, Manhattan. B are suburban counties. C are what are called exurban counties. And four is rural. If you look at the Trump voter, the Trump voter comes from C and D counties primarily. And that's that's a county where people um, do not have the same experience of life, the same experience of other people, um, the same experience of education, of health care that people in A and B counties have. And and so I think that lack of experience uh, of of what's going on around you uh, makes it easy for somebody like Trump, who 
has run a campaign, two campaigns now, based on blaming everybody yeah. in a particular group for your problems. I, I think that that it's a, it's a bridgeable divide, hmm. but it's going to, it's going to take policy. Huh. I wonder what policies there could be to do that. You know, people, as you're describing, uh, people think, well, those other people, they're jumping ahead of me in line. You know, they're they're getting things that I should get, and we're competing against one another. Ideally, you know, there could be enough to go around that people don't have to uh, live in this uh, 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 Hobbesian world, actually. You know, like just fight to get along. To, to have enough to eat, but they they believe that now. So I wonder what it, it's interesting how so, so many people blame Obama for the for you know bringing up racism. So wrong. It's just not true. But he happened to be black, and so they could focus on that. I, I just uh, what what I wonder what government could do to uh, to deal with that. Well, I mean, I mean let, let's let's take let's take the first most obvious example, at least to me. The Affordable Care Act. The Affordable Care Act put tens of millions of people out of harm's way medically. And the Republican Party as a group talked about it as if it was Armageddon. And people believed them. Remember Sarah Palin's death panels? Yes, yes. Even even now, uh, during this campaign, while Trump is telling people we're going to have this marvelous plan, which he told <laughs> them last month and last year and the year before oh, that, yeah. they've tried 60 times to undo the Affordable Care Act in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> and that doesn't appear to have persuaded a whole lot of Republican voters away from voting for him. Um, mm. So I, I, I think that it's, it's not going to be one policy or two policies. It's going to be a whole attitude shift by the government. Um, and in terms of providing, helping people provide when they can't do it for themselves. The other obvious example right now is the next COVID bill. Yes. It's the people, people that have this condition, and I'm one of them, uh, I'm a long hauler. Really? People, yeah, people need help. Sure. And, it, you know, Trump wanted it, then he didn't want it. Um, and that didn't appear to have bothered a lot of Republican voters either. Which, when you think about it, That's amazing. it is, really, is really quite something. The statistic I read recently said, that 75% of Americans know somebody who has COVID. So if you know somebody who has it, you want them to get the help they yes. can because it impacts their job and it impacts, their, it impacts everything about their life. Uh, I don't know, Bert, if you've had it. I hope no. you haven't. No. Um, but I'm now in my almost my eighth month of this. Good God. And... Um, it's 16 stairs from the living room to the bedroom, and I can't walk those 16 stairs without gasping for breath. I'm a guy that's been in the gym most of my life, but it will wipe you out. And physically, it will just, it takes a toll on your body. And 
fortunately, I'm able to work from home, but how many of us are that lucky? Right. And so hmm. Congress can't even get together on a bill because the Republican Party does not believe in helping Americans. And until Republican voters get that, I don't know what's going to change. It, I don't understand the, the whole COVID thing. Was it like 57% of people, I think, in general, maybe it's just Republicans think Trump has done a good job with it. We've lost nearly a quarter million people. And I know people who have suffered through it, who are still suffering. A, a good friend, a terrific guy, has lost his sense of smell and taste probably forever. How could they think the president is doing a good job? I just, that completely baffles me. I, I don't know how, you know, I thought Trump, uh, Biden focused on it a fair amount, but uh, is it just that people don't care about one another? I, I it was it, it, it not only did he focus on it, he ran the perfect campaign yes. based on it. He did. You're right. And um, I, I think there are a couple of things at work. One is that the administration has made it much more harder to get an accurate count of caseloads and deaths. Yes, true. They don't want the data counted. Right. I, I think what you're going to find when Joe gets into the White House is that the 230-something thousand death total right. is going to be dramatically higher. Yes. Maybe 100 or 200,000 higher. Mm. Uh, and the caseloads will be through the roof. Uh, it, you know, I'm a person who got it uh, in March 50, on March 15th mm. when I couldn't get a test. So I'm not in the statistics. Neither is my wife, who also got it. Oh, wow. There are a lot of us out there. Excuse me. Wow. And it just, to deny that this reality, I mean, Trump is, he loves, you know, he decides what's real and says what he thinks, you know, is, he, he's got to know it's not true, but he says this stuff anyway. You know, this, I, I don't understand how people could fall for it. I just don't. It's so callous to not care about one another. It, is it that they thought that medical care was so hard to come by that you have to deny it to your neighbors? I, it just, it amazes me. It, it, it's, go ahead. You can convince a significant portion of this country's population um, if you use the word freedom. Ah. Uh, you're infringing on my freedom by making me wear a mask. Uh, and religious um the religious right has done the same thing i want my religious freedom which translates into right. i want to use my religion to tell you how you need to behave yes but um the republicans have the republicans have been successful with this approach since reagan and i and i think mm. the historical perspective is very important reagan built his coalition uh, on a three-legged stool, one of those was the right-wing evangelicals, yes. and um, he was the first guy to really make people yeah. who didn't believe in, in that culture uh, the enemy. Yeah. He did it very subtly. He's a better communicator, certainly. Mm -hmm. But this has been going on for 40 years. Yeah, Reagan 
had a huge, huge effect. And not a lot of people, I think, still get the damage that he did to this country and the damage that's still going on. For those who may have just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. The show is Keeping Democracy Alive. We're talking about keeping democracy alive. Our guest today is Ken Nannis, uh, whose background is in radio and uh, has some good uh, research on what the heck is going on. What about women? I heard, I don't know for sure, but in 2016, it was something like 53% of women voted for Trump over Hillary Clinton. Now, Hillary had her issues, you know, uh, projecting entitlement. Uh, you know, could it have been worse? I don't think so. But what about women this time? There were, I was, I, I could not help but be surprised how often I'd see women for Trump. It's like, what? I mean, what he said about grabbing women's parts and being, he's being accused of rape by a whole bunch of different women. He was good friends with this Epstein guy. Do you have any understanding why women uh, could support Trump? I mean, I, I don't know if it's the majority, probably not, but what the heck? Any clues on that one, Ken? Well, yeah, a few, actually. Um, I th first, I think you're going to find when when we begin to dig deep into what actually happened yesterday, I think you're going to find that the majority of women voted for Biden rather than Trump. That's first. Good. Second, <laughs> how, how many couples do you know where the husband and wife voted for different people? A lot. I don't know any. Huh. Uh, and I, I think there is a tendency to have a singular mindset in a house. I, I think there were probably more women that voted for Joe this time uh, against uh, as the antithesis of what their husband did than before. Uh -huh. But I, I would be I would be very surprised if the majority of the households um, saw husbands and wives voting for different people. Uh, I think women get it. Um, but let's divide let's divide women up into subgroups. For example, sure. black women were going to find went for Joe probably 80-20, maybe 90-10. Um, one of the reasons I feel that Biden was the perfect candidate for this election was that he was the person best suited to recreate the Obama coalition. And he got inner city turnout yesterday uh, in similar levels to what Obama did in 08 and 12. The reason that Biden will win Michigan and Pennsylvania is Detroit and Philadelphia. So I, I think black women were his. I think that Trump did a better job this time with Latinas. Yes. Uh, and I, I think that had a lot to do with Florida. Uh, yeah, that's surprised me. But in C and D counties, as we talked about earlier, um, I, I think um, I, I think those women like him because he appears to be strong. Yes. And um, you know, perhaps there's an education gap, perhaps there's an income gap. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know if you're a woman how you could vote for him. Uh, it, it does amaze me. But you know, the whole there are always exceptions to rules. Uh, but there are uh, impressions that are not always off base. I mean, for example, black men, older black men, 
uh, tend to be more conservative socially and culturally, but I think it's pretty clear that that demographic did vote uh, largely for Biden pretty enthusiastically. But the Latino culture, I mean, there's people from Puerto Rico who got uh, not well treated by Trump after the, the devastating hurricane there, but there's that whole sort of macho thing. It's sort of more traditional in the Hispanic culture, uh, I think, you know, to be macho, to be a tough guy, to be strong. It's stereotypical, I'm sure, but I do think that's a factor. And he, uh, Trump is clearly obsessed with looking strong. I mean, it's, I think it's quite mentally ill, to be perfectly honest. But he's, he's just, he has to look really strong, be a man. And that's not really that new. I mean, Teddy Roosevelt was into, you know, appearing manly as well and how important that is. Uh, and I, I don't know if there are, maybe the women, some women are, are attracted to that. And, uh, you know, just the dominant, uh, powerful man, uh, if that's something still attractive. And I think that's a big factor that was a factor in Florida. And I, I'm surprised. I thought Florida we were going to pick up because a lot of the older people. It'll be interesting to see how older people did vote, you know, across the country. And, uh, you know, he did better. Trump actually did better, I believe, with blacks and Latinos than in 2016, which is amazing to me. And as you say, people don't want to see upsetting facts. Myth is so much more soothing. And Trump knew that and just puts it out there all the time, you know, looking tough, America's strong, make America great again. Uh, I gotta give him credit, that was a, a heck of a good slogan for 2016. But how people, Republicans, people who call themselves conservative, could ignore the fact that Trump loves Putin and North Korea's Kim Jong-un, uh, how could they ignore his his financial ties to China and, and his sexual abuse stuff. I, I, I wonder what it is about why myth, comforting myth, has so much more power than reality, why people just refuse to see that. I, I can't tell you how many people have said, no, Trump is not close to Putin. No, no, no. But he's not a conservative. He's an authoritarian for sure. Another long uh, diatribe here. Your reactions to that, Ken? Do you remember The Big Chill? Yes. There's a line in The Big Chill where Jeff Goldblum is sitting, I believe he's sitting in the back seat of the car, and he says, um, do you know why rationalizations are better than sex? And he said, try going, a, try going a day without a good rationalization. <laughs> That's uh, true. <laughs> and, and, you know, so I, I, think, I, I think we can make ourselves believe anything we want to believe. But I want to come back for a moment sure. to Latinos, because mm -hmm. you were talking about that a few minutes ago. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think there's an important distinction that needs to be made. One is the Latino vote is not monolithic. Right. Uh, I spent five years at a Spanish language television network doing business development um, with chief marketing officers around the country. And I can tell you that Hispanics are, depending on, on the country of origin and the part of the country they live in, are all different. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> in Florida specifically, in Miami-Dade, 
yeah. uh, which, is, which is really where Biden's problems were yesterday. The issue was with Cuban-Americans. Yes. And the Cuban-Americans have still not forgiven Democrats for the Bay of Pigs. That's been, trans, that's been translated down through generations. And I don't know how that goes away. But by the same token, mm. uh, Latinos in Arizona, Nevada, right. New York, Chicago, <clears throat> and of course California um, yeah. voted Democratic. Yeah. So I, I, think, I think that it's, it's important to poll one from the other. Um, but I also think that you're right. People will believe what's most comfortable um, because to do that would, would challenge their own self-identity. And I don't, I don't want to get metaphysical about it, but when it comes to voting, um, I, I think people are a lot less focused on who and what is better for them than how somebody makes them feel. Mm-hmm. And that, that's where education comes from, you know, comes in in terms of a voting selection. That's why over the past several elections, Democrats have taken over the suburbs where nice. college educated families live. And I think that trend's going to continue. Yes. The problem the problem with Trump in terms of a of a coalition is that he basically got the same number of votes he did last time. He got last time he got 64 million votes, I believe, or 63. Something like that. This time he got 66. So there aren't any new Trump voters. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's it. And if this was, in fact, a high turnout election, he would have gotten destroyed. (sighs) Boy, getting turnout is so hard. Go ahead. but, But so far, the turnout is not what anybody projected. And that's why I keep coming back to that, because it's very hard for people to miss modeling turnout correctly. That's just hard to do. Huh. And yet, it seems that they did. Um, Maybe. Maybe. Until somebody goes to all the post offices, we won't really know, will we? Yeah, true. Good point. And we're still, of course, waiting for the mail-ins, which Trump hates and obviously fought against. And I think you touched on an interesting point that Trump, with with regard to connecting to working people, I mean, it amazes me, Ohio, where Trump dissed one of the biggest employers, Goodyear, and yet they still voted for him. It's how he makes them feel. Do, do people feel good about themselves? People who are not particularly educated, who don't have the greatest income in the world, who who felt like, you know, the Democrats, Hillary Clinton, others, didn't make him feel good, made him feel sort of bad, like, damn, I don't have an education. I, you know, I'm not as good as that other guy. But Trump made him feel better. And that's, you know, whether you agree on issues, policy positions, it almost doesn't matter. He He made people who don't have, you know, high degrees feel better about themselves. And I don't know how, I mean, Democrats used to, be able to connect and encourage people. And you're right, you know, without unions, I, I don't know if we can connect to people. I, do you have thoughts on how, I may have asked this before, but I'll do it again anyway, how people 
how Democrats can better connect with working people. I mean, the economy is not good. There's a lot of people unemployed, and yet somehow people believe Trump has made the economy better. Your reaction, Ken? Um, I, I think I, I think I agree with you halfway. I think Trump makes people feel better. Yes. But the rest of the sentence is because he gives them someone to blame. Ah. And I, I think you win elections by telling people who's to blame for their problems. And the Democrats, as a group, refuse to do that. Yes. The Democrats, you know, they have this really stupid idea that governing matters, Tip. that policies matter. I, I mean, it's just it's so silly. They actually think that if you try and do the right thing for people, people will respond. But. Reagan and Bush and Trump have proved that if you make people afraid of the other guy, mm-hmm. you then win. you can win elections. Yeah, you know, I've talked to the, Go ahead. The, the, the other problem, obviously, and, you know, this is going to start to get some play, is the Electoral College. Oh, yeah. It's got... I, I mean... We are a nation that is governed by the minority. The Republican majority in the Senate is about 38% of America's population. Now, how does that work exactly? Well, there's many factors. Obviously, redistricting is a big one, and that comes up in 2022. The, The fact that my understanding is that the vast, not the vast, but a majority of people in America agree with Democrats on policy positions, but I mean the uh, you know gerrymandering of these districts makes it very very difficult for them to come through. And you're right. I've talked to so many people, Democrats, who say, "Oh, we got the policies. You know, we have a much better policy." I think you're right. It's it's extremely unfortunate. I think other countries, other democracies that are probably more a lot more democratic with a small d people do get moved by policies they listen to the policies but here i mean look we had a uh, reality tv show star people people care so much about celebrities somebody they can identify with you know on policy things i don't know how <laughs> to me that's the most important i vote for democrats because i you know agree on policies but how we can change that, boy, that's really hard. I do think I do think that the Republican constantly defunding public education for the last well since Reagan really uh, has yep. been has been a factor. They've achieved what they wanted to do. Oh, I I think you and I could have an entirely separate conversation for at least an hour and maybe yeah. several about how we got to this point. Another one, and one of one of my favorite topics to rant and rave on, sure. is is the um, what Reagan started in terms of the consolidation of the broadcasting industry and True. and the removal of things like equal time. Um, would would Trump, for example, have been anywhere near this successful in running for office without Fox News? No. And now, and I don't think I don't think there's any question about that. And Fox News would not have been possible under the old rules. 
So I, I think ownership of the media has a lot to do with this. Um, and I think an, another um, contaminant, and I view it as such, mm-hmm. is social media. Yeah. Because everybody gets a chance to get only the information they want in tiny doses and can live with their own tribe, so to speak. Uh, and you see what goes on on right-wing websites, whether it's Breitbart or Drudge or Fox or what have you. Um, mm-hmm. there, is, there is not a discussion of issues on right-wing sites. On sites, there is only a demonization of the other side. Mm. Wow. That's... It's a lot different than reading the New York Times in the morning. <laughs> that is for sure. That And... Yeah, demonization of the other side, the other culture. I think the culture wars, you know, we have the the South now, which has its own culture. Uh, It's changing a bit, but it's blended in with the uh, uh, victors of the Civil War. And they're, you know, demonizing the others that we, liberals, liberals, imagine that, liberals, People proud. I mean, it's a pejorative now. It's amazing to me that because you know we are not against uh, reproductive rights, we are not against uh, marriage equality and things like that. That just uh, we are demonized. I don't know how we cannot be demonized. But then again, every, as I say, everybody you know, straight, uh, narrow people who uh, they they all know people who are gay who've had abortions and things like that. I don't know how. We can make a change. For those who may have just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. The show is Keeping Democracy Alive. My goodness, it's a heavy lift. Our guest today is Ken Nannis, uh, who uh, understands how to look at various different uh, quantitative uh, data mining, social media, and marketing. You know, I used to think social media would democratize things, give more voices. There wouldn't be just the three networks, that there'd be all these voices out there. But even without you know, some intended, you know, Russian takeover, the bots and things like that. I think they had some effect, but not that much in 2016. I think even less this time. But the the voices on social media, uh, they, they sort of reinforce each other. And, you know, there's a little bit from the left, but I guess a lot from the right that I don't see. I mean, they thought they thought Hillary was running a, a child trafficking ring. Yes, they believe out of a, it. Out of a pizza store. They believe it. They still yeah. do. I've had people say, oh, Democrats are pedophiles. It's like, what? I, but it's demonizing the other. It just... It am- right, and, that, and that's the natural extension. Oof. Say more. And, you know, and, and that, that, that demonization is the, is the natural extension of, of that sort of a mindset. If the other side is the enemy, then every negative attribute that you can bestow yeah. upon them. Uh-huh. Um, you can't Trump, you know, Trump, look at what Trump did to Ted Cruz during the first primary campaign. Um, Trump said that Ted Cruz's father was involved in the Kennedy assassination. Right. And people bought it. Yes. So I, I think the Republican Party and you, you said something that I'm also going to take a little bit of issue with. Sure, please do. Um, you, you talked about liberals. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know that there are liberals and conservatives anymore. Ah. I think that I think there are people who believe in government and people who don't. Ah. Uh, and I, I think that it is reasonably fair to categorize the American Republican Party as reactionary mm-hmm. and maybe even terroristic. Yeah. Because if you if you look at what they do and how they do it, um, and, and the whole party has to be labeled that way, because when Trump got on the air and said the press is the enemy of the people, right? Um, that's a terrorist act. Uh-huh. And, and that's so attacking I, I democracy. Yeah, right. That that's exactly what it is. It, it's you know, I don't, I don't know if you want to call it borderline treasonous. But it certainly is not a democracy proponent. Um, mm. And and I so I don't calling the Republican Party conservative no. is flat out wrong. They're not conservative. No, not conservatives believe in small government, a strong defense and incremental change. Republic, the Republican Party believes that anything that doesn't benefit the Republican Party needs to be destroyed. That's not the same thing. No, it's not. No, it's not. I don't know how they can call themselves conservative. I, I always thought the word conserve was a basic part of that word conservative. They conserve nothing. How the Republican Party is now like, I mean, Putin obviously loves Trump. He's, you know, if he's out to destroy America, you couldn't ask for more. And yet when you tell, <laughs> I've had experience telling the uh, Trump supporters that, yeah, he's close to Putin. Yeah, he has investments in China. Yeah, he's he's kind of anti-American, really. People are just, it's so beyond their uh, comfort zone, to put it mildly. But, you know, it's not it's not all bad here. There's going to be gridlock, for sure, because, I mean, even if Biden wins, and it looks like he probably will, there'll be wicked gridlock. Uh, uh, gridlock in the in the U.S. Senate. Moscow Mitch is there. Uh, there won't be progress on health care, climate change infrastructure, judicial appointments, uh, wasting years we don't have. But I understand the four, uh, the uh, the squad, as they're called, have those four congresswomen have been joined by Jamal Bowman and Mondaire Jones, both of New York, along with uh, Cory Bush and Marie Newman in Illinois. So uh, the left is, uh, is is not without strength, but it's how we do it, how we reconnect with the base. And, uh, you know, I, I think we uh, the whole Clinton era when they went after the big money with the uh, Democratic Leadership Council, boy, that turned people away from that as well. So how it would be nice if we had had a clear repudiation of Trumpism. That's sure what I was hoping. It didn't happen. How optimistic i will dare to ask the question how optimistic are you ken that uh we can very actually oh do tell please uh, <laughs> very and i'll tell you why um i have a number of reasons one i, I think i, I was I, i'm a very big obama fan i have a my wife and i have a three foot by five foot painting of him done by an artist in um uh, idaho hanging uh, prominently in our home. Nice. Uh, I, I'm a huge fan, but the biggest mistake he made, in my opinion, was not using the bully pulpit to sell America on the Affordable Care Act. Absolutely. He let he let the Republicans have all the air about it. I don't think Joe will make that mistake. Ah. I think I think he will have learned from that. Second, um, the Senate election map in 2022 
is not much better for them than this year's was. Pat Toomey is uh, retiring in Pennsylvania. That seat's got a chance to, ta- to change, and there are others. Um, so I, I think it's entirely possible that we may get control of the Senate in 2022. Hmm. Third, I think it's entirely possible that Trump is either going to leave the country or go to jail. Yeah. Um, he, he will probably try to pardon himself. Yeah. Um, but there's state which, charges, too. Uh, well, I live in New York. Yes. Ah. And the New York State Attorney General and the New York City DA are moving forward with charges that, in, in New York City specifically, Cy Vance, the DA, uh-huh. probably has enough on him to put him away. Cool. Um, and I, I think the, the sight of Trump in a jumpsuit, no. you know, I would like doing it. the, doing the law and order perp walk. Right. I mean, I, I think, <laughs> I think that will, that will change some people's attitudes. Uh-huh. I, I'm also, I'm hoping, um, you know, Joe is a master legislator. Yes. He's worked across the aisle for many years. But an executive is something else. Yeah, but, you know, I'm hoping that that experience helps him Uh, cut deals with the other side. Oh, interesting. Um, I I mean, Mitch McConnell hated Obama from the day he walked in, obviously. Um, but the Senate in 2022 is going to be no easier for the Republicans than this year's was. Uh-huh. And um, McConnell is only concerned about keeping his majority in the Senate. And I don't yes. know that being a totally obstructionist with a slim majority ah. gets that done. Uh, we also don't know that Ralph Warnock isn't going to win his race in Georgia uh-huh. uh, when oh. the runoff comes. Um, so... You know, all we have to do is get to 50-50, and, you know, we need two more seats. So I am I think a lot of this hinges on the Senate, and I think a lot of it hinges on Biden's ability to create outreach. Mm-hmm. And if the Republicans continue to be obstructionist, to go before the American people and say, this is what we're trying to do, they don't want to do this. Interesting. I, I think the Democrats have to be far more aggressive about that. Yes. Than they've ever been. Oh yes, Democrats aggressive. Yeah, it could happen. Thank you so much. Um, it, it it doesn't seem to be in the DNA, does it, Bert? No, it doesn't. Urgh. Pardon me, I get worked up about that. Well, thank you so much. Very very interesting analysis today, and uh, appreciate your uh, your views on these things and shedding some, dare I say, uh, sunshine on this situation. <laughs> thank you so much for being with us on Keeping Democracy Alive, Ken. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. High anxiety Whenever you're near High anxiety It's you that I fear My heart's afraid to fly It's crashed before But then you take my hand My heart starts to soar Once more 
my anxiety It's always the same Anxiety It's you that I blame 